Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. My name is Ted Richards, and for this episode, we welcome back Head of Investment Strategy at Wilson's, David Cassidy. David, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Ted. It's uh, good to be here again. Now, uh, at the time of recording, it's early May. And David, uh, we last spoke on the podcast back in early February, and I was just kind of looking back since then, some of the things that have been playing out. Russia's invaded Ukraine a few weeks um, after we recorded the the last episode. Some economies like um, Australia have continued with their reopening, whilst other economies, such as what's happening in China, they've taken a different approach and and gone back to uh, strict lockdowns. And... um, plenty more things. So uh, inflation has escalated around the world. Interest rate hikes have been um, brought forward from um, what consensus might have once been. And in Australia, an election date has been confirmed with um, election campaigns well and truly now going to overdrive. So David, where should we begin? Well, Ted, I think, as you said, there's a number of key uncertainties out there at the moment in terms of the investment landscape. But I think the core issue uh, is the outlook for inflation, particularly in respect of what's going on in the US at the moment. The US tends to set the tone for for markets. So I think uh, talking a little bit about US inflation is probably a good start. Okay, let's start off um, with what's going on over there. What's causing it? How much of this inflation is just like a a shortage of stock in warehouses right now? I think there is obviously a a large what economists call supply element to what's going on. So the, the global supply chain, you've probably heard a lot of commentary around that. There's obviously a shortage of a lot of uh, component parts and, and, and uh, finished products at the moment. So I think that is, uh, to some extent, what's happening here with inflation. But I think there's also a demand element to what's going on. I think in hindsight, there was probably too much stimulus uh, put into a lot of economies, in particular the US economy. And so now uh, central bankers in particular are having to unwind that stimulus uh, pretty rapidly. So these elements of both supply and demand uh, driving inflation, as is often the case. But yeah, I think that, that, that supply side is an unusually important part of what's going on right at the moment. And if we zoom in on supply and, and demand um, a bit closer, which categories within here are, are kind of contributing the most to inflation right now? Yeah, well, obviously we know the oil price is up a long, long way from where it was three months ago and in particular 12 months ago. So you've got that, I guess, what economists call non-core uh, energy price inflation coming through. And it's also coming through, particularly since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, Ukraine in respect of food prices. You've got to have, had that... Uh, big pickup in, in food prices recently. 
Then if you dig a little bit deeper into the inflation, um, and it's partly a, a supply story and partly a demand story, uh, what economists call core goods price inflation uh, is, is, is very strong. So that's really all the manufactured goods that um, we consume as a, as a society and as an economy. Um, so that's things like cars, uh, various manufactured goods, electrical goods, furniture, clothing, footwear, you know, that all, all that manufactured goods, which we're used to actually not really moving much. You know, we've had a, a lot of disinflation or indeed outright deflation in that part of the CPI basket for many decades. Now, if you look at the US, you know, core goods inflation is up 12% year on year. Um, that's very unusual. And that's why I think this uh, supply side blockage or blockages is, is part of the story in terms of what's going on in that part of the CPI. Yep. And uh, you mentioned inflation year on year. Dave, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but how do you think the US inflation kind of may play out over the next, say, 12 months? Yeah, well, I think it is going to come down. Uh, I think most people accept that or believe that, but it's, I guess, a matter of how quickly and how far it comes down. Because at the moment, we've got US inflation at a 40-year high, at headline level running at 8.5%. And clearly, that's way too high, and that's making central banks nervous. Um, exactly how far it comes down over the next 12 months, I would expect it to more than half. So coming back down to you know at least 4% or probably a bit, bit lower. But there's still a lot of uncertainty around that. You know, when does it actually start to happen? Does it indeed, I guess some people are questioning whether it will come down to sort of the threes and the fours over the next 12 months. So that's where the debate clearly is. We think we're probably at a peak now. So we will get another read uh, on May 11 in terms of US inflation. So we think that should show some tentative signs of some improvement in uh, inflation, but it's still you know, a, a picture that's highly uncertain and it's making markets very nervous right at the moment. Well, you mentioned markets are nervous. You even mentioned U.S. central banks are nervous. And I, I don't want to fearmonger here, but like, what are they nervous about? What could happen if inflation didn't drop down to those those figures you you mentioned? Well, I, I guess uh, central bankers, you know, are preoccupied with inflation. It's probably their most important role to keep inflation under control. Often they have what's called a dual mandate. It's trying to uh, steer the economy towards full inflation, uh, full, full, sorry, steer the economy towards full employment, but also keep uh, inflation in check at the same time. And indeed, at the moment, inflation is anything but in check. Um, there was a view that it was transitory last year. There was a lot of commentary from central banks that it was transitory. Uh, that may well still prove to be the, quite the, the case, but it's a lot stickier than I guess was expected. And that's what is making central banks nervous at the moment. The fact that it's proving more stubborn and they're concerned that inflation gets ingrained or embedded in the system, particularly through the wage setting process. And that's what, why central banks are you know, wringing their hands somewhat at the moment. Let's shift away from inflation over in the US um, over to something that's often spoken about uh, at the same time, and that's wage growth, which we keep hearing a bit about. What are wages doing in the US right now? Yep, well, wages are picking up in terms of uh, US wage growth. There's a number of measures of wage growth. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, exactly which measure you choose to look at or focus on. 
the Fed's preferred measure of inf wage inflation, the Employment Cost Index, is running at about 4.5%, uh, so certainly higher than the history of the last you know, 10 years or so. Some of the other measures of US wage inflation are a bit higher than that, maybe closer to 6%. So you've got clearly a pretty tight labour market in the US at the moment. There's definitely you know, wage inflation in, in the system. Economists often worry about wage inflation more than CPI inflation because often wages inflation is seen as um, more of a permanent inflation problem when it starts to get into the wage setting process. Um, I tend to think once again you've had some temporary supply constraints uh, come through in respect of the US labour market. You might have heard of the, the great resignation in, in the US. A lot of people dropped out of the US labour market over the last couple of years. They're starting to come back in now, uh, but it's taking time. So I think you will see some moderation in US wage inflation. But once again, it's uncertain as to how long that takes. And at the moment, uh, it's coming through at a pretty decent clip. Okay, now let's um, shift from the US back here in Australia, where, correct me if I'm wrong, I think inflation the, at the last we heard was um, running at 5.1%. Now, whilst that isn't the, the figures that's been mentioned over in the US in the vicinity of 8 8.5%, David, when was the last time inflation was this high in Australia? Yeah, well, the last time we had a level around that, that uh, pace, or indeed a little bit higher, was back in 2000, so about 22 years ago. And indeed, that was a sort of an artificial reading because we introduced the GST uh, then, and that sort of pushed prices up temporarily. So in some ways, if you strip out that GST period in sort of mid-2000, this is actually the highest reading on our inflation rate since probably the early 90s. So it's, it's, it's a high number. It's well outside the Reserve Bank's target band of 2 to 3%. And once again, we've now got the Reserve Bank getting quite nervous on the inflation picture for Australia as well, um, coming into line with what the, the, the Fed has, has been saying for a while. And if you compare us to what's going on in the US and, and what the, the Fed's been saying, mm. with us being not as bad possibly yet as what's being over there. Do you think there's a chance we might be lagging them and we could get up to that figure or it's something that we most likely won't play out like that? Yeah, well, I think we are lagging. I think that's right. So the RBA has um, mentioned that this week in, in terms of its commentary around its um, interest rate decision. So the RBA is expecting uh, the CPI to pick up a bit more in the next uh, quarter or two to about 6%. So we do sort of see a lag there. So some of our inflation is yet to come through. Um, it's a little bit complicated in forecasting Australian inflation because we had that quite substantial cut to the fuel excise uh, tax come through in, in the budget. So that'll take a little bit of the heat of headline inflation, but still probably not enough in itself to stop inflation pushing up a bit more over the next uh, three to six months. Um, so yeah, we, we, we should expect some higher inflation readings, I think, uh, over the next couple of quarters. We get our inflation readings quarterly, whereas the US do theirs monthly. Um, but whereas I think US inflation is hopefully at its peak now, I think we, we've still got a little way to go in terms of our inflation profile. And, and one more question, while we're kind of comparing Australian and US inflation, 
you call that one difference is um, between the two countries is that fuel excise. Are there any other diff- notable differences between, say, how either country measures or you know some of the components of these underlying inflation between Australia and the US, or are we quite similar? Yeah, well, you'd say that you know this is is a problem for just about every major economy at the moment. The only economy that doesn't seem to be having an inflation problem is Japan, where they've been battling deflation for uh, many decades now. Now they've got a little bit of inflation, but it's still very, very low. So what's going on in respect of Australia is broadly similar. It's not quite as bad. Some of the categories to dig into the detail, um, things like used car prices in the US have, have surged the price there. Uh, we haven't had the same degree of pressure in some of those categories like these car prices. I'm not sure why, but US has had a particular problem there. And broadly, the wage price pressures that you've seen in the US don't appear to be as acute in Australia's case. Once again, we're dealing with lag data in respect of Australia. We only have a reading up to December 31, where wages were only running at 2.3. Now, anecdotally, it seems like uh, wage price inflation in Australia is uh, uh, quite a bit above that now, and the Reserve Bank conceded that earlier this week. So, whereas you, you're talking about four and a half to six percent wage inflation in the US, I think it's probably in the three to four percent area now for Australia. We'll get a read on that um, on May 18 for Australia yep. for the March quarter. So, um, I don't think you're seeing quite as much wage inflation in, in Australia, but clearly it's it's picking up. Um, but we'll we'll just see how how far it picks up through the course of the next uh, couple of quarters. Let's let's have a chat about the RBA. They originally said no rate rise until twenty twenty four. What what happened here? So were they lying, or does that show just kind of how hard it is to predict where interest rates are going to go? No, I think what the RBA were trying to do, and it's probably a, a a bit of an error in hindsight was trying to instill some confidence in the economy. They were, you know, originally framing those sort of expectations around uh, the the interest rate environment in a very uncertain, you know, COVID impacted environment. So they were trying to get people to go out and spend, go out and borrow. In, in hindsight, they probably shouldn't have been as definitive in terms of that guidance for no rate rise till 2024. Um, nobody really predicted this surge in you know supply side driven inflation that ended up coming through and i think in hindsight also the economy was a lot stronger than they anticipated you know unemployment went from you know a brief double digit period in the middle of covid to now you know four percent the tightest has been for you know a long long time so they were probably surprised by the strength of the economy or the resilience of the economy um, and had the supply side constraints on, on top of that. So, um, you know, they've pr- been proven to be well wide of the mark in terms of that 2024 guidance. They'd probably like to take that back. But, you know, we saw this week in terms of their their, their view around both inflation and rates that they're you know, largely moving on to the same page as most other central banks now. You know, they need to move the cash rate pretty quickly and they can see that inflation's... Uh, going to prove um, more, much more of a problem than they thought even three months ago. And I might just um, um, ask you a further question on that. On The RBA's need to move rates quickly is coinciding with the time 
we've got an election in Australia. I know government and uh, the Reserve Bank are independent, but do you see this as potentially having a big impact in the election in any way? I don't think so. It's not the first time they've done it. They did it back in 2007 in the middle of the election campaign. And obviously it's created a lot of headlines over the last few days, but we are coming off a very low base. We're moving the cash rate from 10 basis points to 35 basis points. So it's probably not going to help, but I don't think it's a, a massive issue um, for, the, for the election campaign. Um, but yeah, it's probably something that uh, the Liberal government probably would have preferred didn't happen, but I, I think they knew it was coming. So I think it's it's happened before, uh, and I don't think it's going to be the ultimate determinant of the result. But it's it's probably not helpful. Yeah. So Dave, we've we've spoken about um, inflation overseas, in particular the US. We've spoken about wage growth and what's happening back here in Australia, both with inflation and and the upcoming election. So let's let's kind of put it all together. What does that mean for the market right now? Well, I think it means markets has been beset now for four or five months with an unusually large degree of uncertainty. Markets are always uncertain in terms of the outlook. Nobody ever knows the future, but it's been an unusually volatile and uncertain period. I still think as investors, I always look to the US for, for, for the lead. So I still think what happens to US inflation is going to be absolutely critical to people framing a view on where interest rates go, not just in the US, but around the world. So I I think we need to focus on those next few US inflation prints. As I said, we've got one on uh, May 11, and then another one a month later. So if we do see a little bit of better news in respect of that inflation pulse, uh, alleviating a little bit, you know, markets will take that very well. If we don't, you know, you know, markets are going to continue to be um, on edge. Um, you know, I think we'll see some better news, but that's, you know, that's, that's our base case, but we'll see how we how we go with that. There's still, you know, a possibility that we don't. So if inflation does ease off over the, the course of the next, you know, two, three, indeed, you know, six to 12 months, I think stocks can ultimately um, regather um, some composure. And I think, you know, the Fed and the other central banks will probably settle down a little bit around their guidance for, for interest rates. So I still don't think it, it's a uh, fait accompli that this um, tough environment for stocks persists through the second half of the year. But clearly these uncertainties there. We've also got uncertainties around Russia, Ukraine. As you mentioned at the outset, what's going on with China in terms of COVID and these you know rolling lockdowns. So there's certainly a wall of worry out there. But I think inflation is the key. If we get a little bit of relief on inflation through the rest of the year, I think stocks can you know, re- regain their footing, which is our central case, but we'll watch things pretty closely over the next couple of months. Now, Dave, you, you mentioned stocks. Um, so let's zoom in and um, I'll ask you quite a, a broad question here. Like, is there one stock in particular or, you know, or a company that has caught your attention and that you're looking at right now that you think it's might be interesting to discuss yeah well one we recently added to our focus list and i think given the macro environment so uncertain you know it, it's a relatively defensive proposition so therefore there's probably not a bad addition to to client portfolios in a world where the macro environment's um so volatile and uncertain what is is tab corp um 
it may not be for everyone, but it's effectively uh, a stock which is um, about to undergo a demerger. And so essentially these two businesses there, there's the lotteries business, which we think is a very high quality annuity, almost like an infrastructure type business with you know quite certain earnings, very good free cash flow generation. Then you've also got the wagering business um, in, re in relation to horse race racing and, and the like. That's um, probably not as good a quality business, but still a reasonable business and still with quite a bit of sort of COVID recovery potential in it. And we find when we do the valuations on those two separate businesses, we come up with a valuation, you know, well above the current share price on a, on a solid parts basis. So we think there's some hidden value there. We like those sort of situations where there's some hidden value. As I said, it's a, a fairly defensive company, particularly at lotteries business. So in, in a uncertain time, we think that one's uh, certainly worth a look. Okay, David, that's been fascinating. We might wrap it up there. David, thank you once again for coming on the Invest at Best podcast. It's always fascinating to hear your thoughts and look forward to next time. Thanks, Ted. It's a pleasure to be here. So if you're interested in anything we've discussed this episode, please speak with your Wilson's advisor. And if you're interested in becoming a Wilson's client, please use the link in the episode show notes to request a Wilson's advisor to contact you. Before I go, a thank you to those who have rated the podcast so far on iTunes. It's, it's greatly appreciated. See you next time on the Invest at Best podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.